Good morning, and welcome to IDK Politics. I am your temporary host for this week, Dervlo O'Donovan. Unfortunately, Caitlin is sick this week, so I'll be taking the mantle this morning. Uh, first of all, a little introduction for myself. I was here on the pod- on the show last week, just as a little co-host, but uh, I am a second year law clinical student, which basically means I will be doing a four-year law degree instead of a three-year, and I'll be on placement this coming September. I said I'd maybe explain a few modules that I like, just to get a sense of who I am, maybe. So I am really into commercial law this year, as well as medical law and property. Um, we just finished succession there in property. It's actually quite interesting, learning about how people inherit things. It's very cool. But um, anytime I talk about succession, I just think of the actual TV show, and then the theme song starts playing in my head. But yeah, I might... While I might not be a political expert like Caitlin, I promise there will be some interesting discussions this morning and we'll play some good tunes. That song just there we played was Put On Your Records by Corinne Bailey Ray. So yeah, I think we'll play one more song before we get started before I talk about the upcoming referendum. So the next song is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. And that of course means I want to talk about the referendum that is coming up on the 8th of March. I think there's a lot of confusion towards it because I think labelling them just by the family referendum and the care referendum can be quite confusing. And I think that conf- that confusion leads to people maybe abstaining to vote or meaning there'll be a lower vote count, which I hope not. Again, I would encourage everyone to get informed and whether that's looking it up yourself, that would be great. Or maybe you might form an opinion after hearing me talk. Let's we'll soon find out. But it's very important to use your vote and actually make a bit of a change because the changes that are being proposed are quite big, especially in the legal sphere. So for uh, the family amendment, it seems mostly there is a lot of support for it. Um, Me and Caitlin were joking last week how there's been no pamphlets, there's been no posters around Cork City. Came in Monday and there's posters everywhere, all that say yes, to vote yes. And I'm currently holding a pamphlet in my hand. So obviously the dole out is starting to come of all the information, which is due time because, again, it's in two weeks. And I, for some people, it might be enough time to just make a decision. But for the others, they need a bit more time to ruminate on it. But um, so basically the family, family amendment aims to add in a phrase of durable relationship to recognise all the different family dynamics. And from what I've read online and from newspaper articles, it seems overall... Yeah, people want to will be voting yes for adding in the durable relationship. Um, it would have a positive policy and legal implications and for improvement of diverse families in areas such as social welfare, taxation, succession. And again, that's really important to be aware that there's multiple types of families just, just because, and not just marriage doesn't just constitute family. If there's a long-term relationship who have children, that should be recognised by the law. So I think adding this into the constitution could have a good impact. But again, we won't know until it's actually, if it's actually passed through. But again, I would imagine there's a high chance that this durable relationship probably will be. But I, the care amendment, on the other hand, is one that people seem to be a bit iffy on and a bit more leaning no. So I think what really um, pushed a lot of people was the Free Legal Aid Centre coming out saying that um, 
that the care amendment would be ineffective and was implicitly sexist and had constitutional expression to harmful stereotypes. And that would be unlikely to provide carers, people with disabilities or older people with any new enforceable rights or to require the state to provide improved health care, child care or care to those who, in, who need it with children with disabilities, supports for independent living. I can understand why they would want to get rid of Article 41.2, which is kind of widely known as the Article of Women in the Home. Um, the language there is quite outdated and should be modernised, but the proposed care amendments doesn't seem well thought out. And I think the process has been a bit rushed and the government probably should have scrutinised it and for finalising whatever the amendment that they wanted to make. So it would be Article 42B would be inserted instead of Article 42.1. But um, I think overall I can see where FLAC is com- the Free Legal Aid Centre is coming from. And for those who don't know what FLAC is, it promotes access to justice. So those who don't have direct access to um, legal resources, they provide free um, consultations. Even here in UCC, we have our own FLAC office for any students who ever wish to avail of their clinics for free legal aid, free legal advice. But um, there was also a very interesting article. It was an opinion piece by Michael McDowell, who is the former... Th- Thonista, former Attorney General and Minister for Justice, Equality and Law Reform. Um, and again, he was more um, of, he was more critical of the durable relationship aspect of the amendment, stating that it was Within the courts, obviously, for marriage can be dissolved by a court order only and you can't remarry until it is fully dissolved. But the durable relationship seems to add a bit of chaos to that because relationships, if it's not bounded by a legal order like marriage, um, it could... People are free to end and enter relationships as they wish, which is, of course, okay. But when you are in a court case or are looking for legal advice, it might not be the best. It'll just cause a bit of a mess. But again, we don't we won't know that until unless this act this amendment is put through. Um obviously there's been no clarity in relationship relation to what the family unit would be, what would like the durable relationship consist of. There's been no guidance so far. And I think overall it is just presumed that it'll be um through courts that it'll get its definition but there's a huge difference between martial rights and family rights they're not they won't be the same thing and this meant the care this new the durable relationship so it's for article 41.1 the it'll affect areas such as family law tax residence law and succession so while it might seem simple voting yes or no and just saying oh this sounds good I'm going to go this way it's actually going to have huge implications and I get Unfortunately, we won't really know how it'll pan out unless it's put through. And then even then, it'll take time for it to be seen. But um, Michael McDowell questioned whether the same results could be achieved through statute rather than a referendum. Because a referendum is a lot of effort. It's to change your constitution, you have to go through a referendum, has to go through the people. 
So we have to, and not everyone can be well informed. Maybe some people might just turn, read the pamphlet, turn up on the day and say, this is what I'm going to go for. Someone might read an article and say, that's correct. I'm going to go with that. But I think it's important to form your own decision. I think it's actually also important to mention for Article 41.2, which is the Women in the Home and the upcoming care amendment, that this has been in the works for nearly 10 years. It's It's been recommended by the Constitutional Convention in 2013 that Article 41.2 to be deleted and replaced by a gender-neutral provision that recognised the role in the home of all carers. And then again in 2018, it was recommended by the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Justice and Equality that it should be replaced with a new provision that recognises the contributions made by the family life and carers in our society. And until now, there's been no consensus of what that means. So again, it's taken over 10 years for the government to make this decision and to put forward this change. But the Free Legal Aid Centre again has come out to say they believe it'll be ineffective. So again, it's hard to see what the right choice would be. And I do think the pamphlet that I'm looking at here which was um, released by the Electoral Electoral Commission, has quite a good, it lays out quite nicely the legal effect of a yes vote and the legal effect of a no vote. So obviously if the majority votes say yes, the constitution will change. And offering a diverse range of families to be covered, so again, by adding in the durable relationships. And it's... So it means that a family based on different types of committed and continuing relationships other than marriage will be recognised and they'll have constitutional rights and protections. So, because it's the state in our, in our constitution, the state is obliged to protect the institution of marriage and it is to look out for children and family and the family unit. So I think it's important again to add in these diverse families because we are diversifying as a country and we are continuing to modernise. And I think that's the important thing about this referendum is that we are looking to make change and to modernise. But again, the care amendment is under much more scrutiny for being quite vague. And I would agree on that because it states that the, the official amendment that they wish to make is the state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives the society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. So it's saying the state recognises this and that they will support it, but there's there's not much, to me, emphasis that it's a requirement by them. They're just recognising it and they'll do their best. And in previous ones, it's that state in like 41.22, the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure or, again, they always do say recognise, but it feels, again, quite vague. And I feel like with a few, re- you'd have to read it a few times, in my opinion, to really understand it. Because even the term by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them. So does that mean we'd be applying Article 41 or the new changes to the durable relationship? Is that the family bond they're speaking of? Because now if they change, I just, again... Maybe a bit more thought should have gone into this before um, the government pushed for this referendum, that these amendments before being finalised, specifically the care amendment, should have gone through a bit more bit more drafting maybe. So if this is a yes, 
this article will replace the Article 41.2, Subsection 1, and 41.2, Subsection 2. So that will be deleted, and this 42B will be inserted into the Constitution instead. And the new 42B would recognise the importance of the common good of the care provided by the family members to each other, and it would provide that the state would strive to support the provision of such care within the families. So if, for example, this was brought to the court, if someone was relying on Article 42B, there's no guarantee. It's a strive to support. So realistically, as always, most I can't make that decision. It's always up, again, to the judge's discretion. But yeah, it's it'll be an interesting one to see where it goes. And it's important to keep informed, to listen to podcasts, read the Irish Times, Examiner, wherever you can find a piece of information about it. Because it seems to me there's a lot of confusion about what it means. Because for some, deleting Article 41.21, which is women in the home, you are then ignoring the one time it says woman in the Constitution. But again, the word man in the Constitution doesn't mean male. It just means man as species, that we are all man. But there's a lot of of political and legal um, opinions out there. And it'll be, again, I just think it'll be a very interesting one to see where it goes. So yeah, that I don't know if that helps anyway, but I would say if you want to read the full flack statement on durable relationship and the care amendment, I would say it's a good one to read, even though it has been criticised for being maybe a bit too on the political edge rather than the legal one. But yeah, so I think we'll play another song. So... I'm going to play Chasing Rubies by Hudson Taylor. And after when we come back, I'll discuss a recent um, decision in the Alabama Supreme Court in relation to embryos are people too. So, back. So, as I mentioned before that song played, I'll be discussing a recent Alabama Supreme Court decision that basically ruled that embryos are extra uterine children. So, basically, that the courts and the law recognise embryos as children, pretty much, and that this would have a very serious implication on Americans seeking or providers of IVF treatment. So there's very little on this at the moment, but I I saw it on The Guardian during the week and I just thought it was too interesting not to discuss. And I'll also just add in a little bit of Ireland's position on um, assisted human reproduction. So... The, this new ruling in Alabama kind of this lack of guidance there's uncertainty in relation to storage of embryos but basically that if you were unfreeze if you were a person and you want to unfreeze your embryos there is the potential for the physicians or the embryologists being charged with manslaughter or threatened with a wrongful death suit if the embryos did not survive after being thawed so that's again quite huge so patients won't have the choice to transfer embryos one at a time Instead, all embryos would have to be transferred, which again would put the pregnant woman at very high risk. So, as like if you follow any bit of American politics or or any legal court cases, example like Roe v. Wade, all like that, things like that, any legislation that's passed through Texas law, there it is well known that 
they aren't fond of topics like abortion. But I think this probably is a step too far because with your embryos, you were this people are just trying to create families. If you're putting them in storage, you're not putting them in for a bad like for a wrong reason. You're not doing it maliciously. You're doing it because you want to start a family if you're unable to at that time for whatever reason. So it would be very interesting to see what the consequence of this decision in the Alabama Supreme Court. It'll place a lot of pressure on the healthcare system and on embryology clinics who will be unable to provide safe, standard quality of care, which is huge. Medical negligence could easily shoot through the roof in Alabama with this. And I was reading, apparently already in Alabama, there's quite a high um, death rate when it comes to um, pregnancies, which is... Again, not great at all. But um, again, it's an extra uterine ch- children. But here in Ireland, um, there's very little primary legislation in relation to the regulation of assisted reproduction. We have one case called Roach and Roach, which um, is more of a dispute over embryos, over like a couple who split. And one of them wants, the female wants to use the embryos and the male doesn't, because usually in that sense, the court always shies towards the person who doesn't want the child. Um, so in that case, but the courts usually rule also that it's not up to the court to make a ruling on that. And it's like a decision by the legislation to define things like family unit, what, and that kind of area. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, there is a report uh, by the Commission on Assisted Reproduction from 2005, which states that an embryo should not attract legal protection until place in the human body. And this is here in Ireland. But again, this is a recommendation made by the Commission and it just provides guidance. It's I don't believe these have ever been ever um, enacted by the legislature. But at this moment in time, um, currently going through the doll, is the Health Assisted Human Reproduction Bill 2022 which again is hopefully going to provide here in Ireland a more regulatory framework in relation to assisted human reproduction and potentially um, set up the Assisted Human Reproduction Regulatory Authority. So again, it'll set out general criteria for assisted human reproduction treatment, provisions on storage of gametes and embryos, and also deals with surrogacy, but only with the regulation of domestic altruistic surrogacy in Ireland. So again, you wouldn't, you'd have to mainly go abroad for surrogacy still in Ireland if you wanted to, because with uh, domestic altruistic surrogacy, it has to be within Ireland and there, ha- there has to be no genetic relationship with the child, but there must be still be some form of relationship formed between the parents. You'd be at your own risk if it was some random person that you met on the street who offered. And then again, the big one is non-commercial, that you wouldn't, be doing it for monetary reasons that you will be paid. So again, the it's an interesting one because medical law is quite, there's quite a balance that needs to be struck between looking after the patient's rights. So that's what the lawyer does. It looks after the patient's rights. And then the doctor, who obviously is looking after the welfare of the patient. And in the case of here with the embryos, looking after the welfare has the best interest of the child. Here in Ireland, as always, a big consideration is what is 
the best interest for the child? What course of action is the best for that child? But um, it's a, again, I just, it was the only, the Guardian was the only article I could find too much, in, much information on it. And I just found it really interesting because assisted human reproduction, again, in Ireland, as I've mentioned, hasn't, isn't overly regulated. It isn't, it's, again, mainly people go abroad for access to something like surrogacy. Um, it's unlikely that Ireland will ever, ever have ruled that embryos have the same rights as children, especially with the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. It seems Ireland always aims to look to the future, continue to modernise, to think about the younger generation. But I think having a bill for assisted human reproduction is very important, especially with um, people seem to, which is perfectly normal and fine nowadays, people are getting married at older ages, which if you do or don't know, as women get older, they get less and f- less fertile. So there's probably a lot of women out there who wish to store their embryos. And again, when you do that, you want to make sure they're stored correctly, that they're safe. Um, a big thing with them, em- with embryo storage, is always ownership, who owns them. Obviously, especially with embryos, it's obviously from both um, the man and the woman, so it's the two of them together. So do they own them together? Do they own them separately? Is it the hospital who stores them that owns them or the facility or the clinic, I guess, that stores them? So, and when you talk about ownership, it actually um, goes into the area of property law. So it's a tough one. I read a, I was reading an article recently about it. And again, there's no legislation saying who owns them. There's no regulatory to say that in this situation, this is who owns them. Because, for example, in the relationship uh, in ex- to health information, it is the hospital who owns your information. It's not your information. Obviously, you can apply to, for, based on the Freedom of Information Act, you can apply to get, have the medical notes, let's say, to you. But that is, you don't technically own them, so to speak, the medical notes. Neither does the doctor. They belong to the hospital. And even if you get a copy of them, no, even if you do get your medical notes, it's just a copy. It's not the actual physical notes. But yeah, within medical law area, autonomy is probably the biggest and the most upcoming situation. It's always been very much pushed by lawyers that a doctor should respect the patient's decisions, their choices. They shouldn't be unduly influenced. That whatever the patient decides is what should the, the doctor should follow. But obviously, to a doctor, that not might be, they might not believe that is in the patient's best interest. So, long ago, used to be more of an element of paternalism by doctors. So basically, they would be parenting kind of their patients. They would be offering advice, but maybe not so much advice and more. This is what you should be doing, and it's what should be done. But, and that's where the law steps in, in order to respect a patient's autonomy, for them to decide what they want, for their dignity, for their liberty. So there's always a very tense relationship between medics and the law because we see both very different sides. We both ultimately want to help the patient at the end of the day, the person who is looking for the help. 
but if neither side it can be quite difficult when either side can be make a decision or for example if someone if a doctor has to do an emergency c-section in the um well actually in this in a case of c-sections it's usually okay usually the woman would usually have consented to say that it's okay if it's an emergency but there's some women out there who refuse who do not want it and or in the case of jehovah's witnesses who don't can't have do not want blood uh, transfusions specifically no they would always say they do not consent to having a blood transfusion even if the doctor is kicking and screaming they have to respect that decision and if they do break decisions usually last minute court orders can be called but like sometimes judges are called at one two in the morning for uh, an injunction or a pardon from the courts to say that they have broken uh, the patient's consent and it, it just gets a bit messy because of course the doctor wants to save the life of the patient if there's a problem but in a weird way the patient is saying I don't want to be saved if they don't consent to it so obviously again a doctor will always err to saving toward the patient and deal with the legal implications afterwards that is kind of them that is their main kind of route and there's such a high threshold for medical negligence and like it's very rare for patients to succeed in the court because again we don't want um, doctors fearing um, getting like struck off medical counsel for example off the register because that's another um, when they get complaints it's because we were talking about this during one of our lectures, that it's probably one of the doctor's biggest fears seeing a letter from the medical council come through. Because it realistically means they may have gotten a complaint. And that's, again, you have to remember a doctor is also a person. And they are, they have can make bad decisions, they can have faults. And they're placed on a very high um, pressure, they're expected a lot from society from the patients from lawyers and they're expected to be perfect I guess I'm I'm advocating now for a doctor all of a sudden going down a totally different route from embryos but um I guess they're probably not too far from each other but um <clears throat> I think yeah so when a doctor sees a medical counsel letter come through their door it just instills fear because the potential of being struck off the register for something serious or and there's a few procedures where you can go to the medical council so the medical council usually have like a little hearing first so the doctor will defend themselves and the person who's complaining can hear their defense before ever actually putting it towards court to get like monetary damages so the patient does have a lot of advantage in that sense and doctors would say it's quite unfair and that again they're that they are placed under a lot of scrutiny that is unfair but um yeah there's always interesting developments in medical law and going back to the Alabama Supreme Court ruling I think again it's such a shame because these again are just people who are trying to make families and by saying that embryos are extra children, 
as I mentioned, that the the woman would have to get all her embryos implanted at one go. And that puts her at such a high risk of infection, of death, basically. And again, obviously, American law is quite different because each state can set their own set of rules. But this could have a snowballing effect. Who knows what state will take this as their their next route, saying that they recognise embryos as children and that clinicians or physicians, embryologists could potentially face charges if not treated correctly. And I just, it's just be interesting to see what that consequence will have. And again, it's so new that it won't be revealed for a very long time. So yeah, again, most of this information I found was from The Guardian. Um, so yeah, it's just, I'm, had a little request play, Sky Full of Stairs by Coldplay. So I'm getting that up there now. And after this song, I will be playing, I'll be speaking about the recent full enforcement of the Digital Services Act, which came in on the 17th of February. And hello again. Um, for any of you wondering where we get all our amazing songs for the day, they are on the IDK Politics, 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 Spotify, which, um, as Caitlin said, I had created half. That is so not true. Um, maybe some of my, the songs she added were my recommendations, but, and then some of them are my, are my own. So yeah, between the two, even though I'm not official co-host, I, still was saying I would help her make the po- the playlist for this, for the songs we played. So, um, yeah, so if you want to find our playlist, it's, pub- it's public there on Spotify. And if you want to find any of the past episodes, which I, I'm on the last one with Caitlin, they are on also on Spotify on the UC98FM uh, uh, podcast. The, yeah, their podcast. I'm not sure what you would call it, but uh, you'll see it on their little symbol. So yes, um, as I promised, we are now moving on to uh, the enforcement of the Digital Services Act, which is um, a, an EU regulation that is now fully, can be fully applied across all EU member states, including Ireland, of course. So for those who don't know, this act aims to regulate online platforms like marketplaces, app stores, online travel and accommodation platforms, so like booking.com. And what I want to focus on is social networks and content sharing platforms. So you'll find all this information on the European Commission website. And so the platforms that are, some of the platforms that are listed anyway are X or Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Amazon Store, Snapchat, things like that. Anywhere you'd find information. And the regulation's main goal is to prevent illegal and harmful activities online and the spread of disinformation. What I think is always important is to distinguish between misinformation and disinformation because they're quite, they're slightly different. So misinformation obviously is just false information, but disinformation has a harmful effect. And the person who's putting out this information knows that it's wrong. They're knowingly putting out incorrect information. 
So what does that mean for us? What does this Digital Service Act do for us? Um, it aims to pr- better protect fundamental rights. So for example, freedom of expression, freedom of speech. Um, it, it provides more control and choice of what platforms you use. So in the past, we're delving into the area of EU law now. So in the past, um, not even the past, like in the last few years, we've probably seen cases by Apple for taxation, Google for antitrust law. So basically, or Amazon also actually. So they're these, mainly Google and Amazon, they're putting themselves in a place where they're abusing competition law, which in competition law, what you want is in, a, in businesses on level playing, business should just be kept on level playing fields or big tech, for example. And some sometimes big tech companies like Google and Amazon or Microsoft abuse these um, rules. And um, it's important to, sorry, there was someone at the window there and I got a bit distracted. Um, so I'll go into that fact that, plat- that TikTok has announced that it shall introduce measures to counter information and disinformation in the upcoming referendum in a, here in Ireland. So what that means is they're banning political ads and directing people to trusted information, which are um, overviewed by fact checkers and experts. I think when I first hear this kind of thing, I think, is this a way of limiting what we see online? Is this a strange form of censorship? Obviously not going that far. But so then I had to look up whether this would be by banning plush glads or directing people to certain information, whether this would hurt freedom of expression, freedom of speech, because people are still, even if unfortunately some comments are hurtful or statements are hurtful or wrong, that doesn't mean they are, that, that they can still be said, because again, freedom of expression. But the regulation, the DSA, the Digital Services Act, aims to strike a balance between creating rules to combat illegal content and protect freedom of expression and information online. So they've they've recommended three ways in order to show that people can combat this by um, a complaint mechanism to appeal moderation decisions. So if your content is removed from the platform, you can go ask why, you can fight for why you think it shouldn't be banned and should be um, let back on the platform. And then the DSA requires platforms to be transparent in their content moderation. So I think that is probably the main aim also of this this act is to provide transparency and more fair and representative on a fair and representative online experience, making it easier for everyone. So, for example, companies that are affected, like Instagram, TikTok, they are required to update user numbers every six months, reports on how their algorithm works, and the user. And I think actually the most important one is for that you'll probably feel in your everyday life is users will have the options to opt out of personal feeds, specifically Snapchat, TikTok. So instead of getting um, feeds that are based on your personal interests from liking, commenting, reposting, you will mainly get, um, you will mainly, it'll be more of a general from videos from where you live from around the world. So as we are nearly nearing the 10 o'clock mark, I probably should start wrapping up just a little. 
Is there anything more interesting from the DSA regulation? Um, again, it's ensuring compliance, transparency, and the EU is always striving for a uniform framework across the union. They like to keep, again, it's easier in it for legal aspects in the sense that like a lot of things would be the same. Um, also important that the regulation aims for a strong protection of children for children who use online resources and online platforms and that there'll be less exposure to illegal content. So as this has been um, very, very new, again, it only came in on the 17th of February. It'll be important to see how this turns out. I'll be interested to see the opt-out option for personalised feeds because I don't use TikTok, but I'd be <laughs> curious just to download it to see if I would, how that works. Or Snapchat as well. I don't really look at my Snapchat. Um, like The only thing I look at Snapchat is either for text or stories. I don't really look at the extra content on there. But it'll, that'll be an interesting one. And anyway, if big companies, if you're interested... Um, if they break any of the rules from the Digital Service Act, they will get fines up to up to 6% of their global turnover. And the only other thing that I thought was quite funny, on the list of big, very, lo- very large online platforms is the reta- German retailer Zalando, if anyone's ever heard of it, where you can get like kind of discounted designer items and stuff like that. And they're after filing a lawsuit against the EU Commission, claiming it does not meet the definition of very large online platform and unfairly singled out. I can see where they're coming from when they are compared to in- big platforms like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon. So that is a very fair, that's fair to file a lawsuit against that. So I will play probably one final song now before I head off, but... Thank you very much for having me, Caitlin, today. Even though you're not here, thank you for letting me take over. I had great fun. If anyone's interested of where I found most of my information, find on the European Commission, Business Post, Irish Times, um, The Conversation, which is a website which uh, has like opinion articles about up, like current affairs. And some of them are my own uh, college lecture notes also. So yeah. Uh, Caitlin will probably be back next week hopefully if she's not sick and I will play my final song of the day which I have I've been thinking about a lot I wanted to play a fun one so I think I ended up choosing um, Dog Days Are Over by Florence and Machines so thank you very much for listening this has been IDK Politics and I hope everyone has a very good weekend thank you (laughs) 